Good morning. I tied my own tie. I didn't even go to the meeting the other night. Did I do good? <laughs> I bet I could find out more. Uh, this morning we have Tom Knight come speak to us, and uh, I have never heard him teach, but I've heard that he's really great, so I know we're in for a treat. And I asked him if there's anything special I could say about him, and he said he took Martha out for a wonderful expensive dinner the other night. I said, where'd you go? And he said, Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Why are you lucky, Martha? Cornbread and cornbread. Right. I've heard they have good, I heard they have good chicken and dumplings there, but I've never oh, had them. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I shouldn't joke. I told them, oh, that's okay. I buy half my clothes at Cracker Barrel, so <laughs> that sounds good to me. So uh, I'll let him come and talk then, Tom. Okay, folks, bear with me a minute now. Well, my gosh, the computer came back up. Wonderful. All right, we got ready to begin. <laughs> okay. I was expecting to have to reinitialize that thing. Um, I'd like to remind you that our son, Jim, that is on the staff here, um, is, is on vacation. He's on his honeymoon this week. So he is not here as he normally would be on Sunday morning. And when Jim is here, the power never goes off. <laughs> okay. Um, all of you know Jim McCormick. Uh, he spoke to our class just a couple of weeks ago. Um, I've known Jim for a very long time. He's one of the finest men I've ever known. He's probably the best Sunday school teacher that I've ever known. Um, he's taught, taught this class a number of times. Um, but one time about two years ago, Jim said something that absolutely hit me between the eyes. And a very simple statement. It's obvious, I'm sure, to a lot of you. But Jim said that our Bible is a continuous story of God revealing himself to man. And I had never looked at the Bible that way. And uh, it really changed my perspective. What do we got up there now, George? Just hit the, uh, Where did that come from? Or huh. Well, let's see about that. Well, I hope it goes away. Just hit the escape. You think so? Good deal. Thank you, Doug. All right. Um, when when we look at a Bible study on the basis of God revealing himself to us, um, it this changes your perspective. Typically, we look at a Bible one segment at a time, and we get all involved in the details there, and it doesn't quite relate to everything in the broader perspective. So today, and in the classes that I'll be teaching from now on, I'm going to search out the ways that God is revealing himself through the Holy Scriptures. Um, today we'll look at prophecies, and um, there we find that our Bible is full of prophecies. Those of you that were with me last fall when I uh, had a, a four-week series of, uh, of Bible study on, pro on prophets, uh, prophets and prophecies, um, a lot of this will be review. But you've probably forgotten it, so we'll start all over again. Um, so bear with me. Um, our Bible is full of prophecies. There are literally hundreds of them. Um, typically, we think of the prophecies that are related to the Messiah. You know how the gospel reads, and so-and-so happened in order that the prophecies could be fulfilled. Um, that's just a microcosm of the overall prophecies that are in our Bible. A lot of them... Uh, relate to God's plan and how it will be fulfilled and how it has been fulfilled 
as we go through history. Um, it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, several Hebrew scholars have looked at all of these prophecies. Uh, they have counted something like 427, I'm serious, 427 prophecies in our Bible that have been fulfilled. Because of this fulfillment, these Jewish scholars, quite a few of them, have accepted Christ as their Savior because they're convinced after studying all of these prophecies that the Bible had to be true. Christ had to be the Messiah. Um, one of them, a fellow named Michael Brown, uh, has now become a Christian evangelist, and he is going out to Jewish congregations convincing them of the reality of, of the Christian message. I think that's pretty amazing. Another component of it that's, that's pretty shocking, too, Michael Brown was raised as an Orthodox Jew in Brooklyn, New York. Now, that's about as Jewish as you can get. But uh, through all of his studies, uh, he has determined that Christ is the Messiah. He should be a Christian, and all Jews should follow him. He, he made the point, too, and I think this is stunning. He said that if we could get all of the world to sit down, including the Muslims and everyone else that we seem to be in such a conflict with, if we could just get them to sit down and listen to all of these prophecies and how they would be have been fulfilled, they would be convinced that Christ is the only way. Pretty, pretty stunning stuff. Okay, today's lesson and next week will not be a detailed analysis of any one prophecy. Instead, I want to look at a couple of prophets, three of them, and uh, we'll begin with the book of Psalms, as it turns out, that relate to the God's plan overall. And uh, I think that as we go through this, you'll be convinced, as I am, that it's God plan, God's plan in action. And that, to me, is the most exciting part of, of our Bible. Um, it's an amazing story, especially when you consider that our Bible was written over thousands of years by dozens and dozens of different people in different situations, different climates, even different parts of the world, as it turns out. Something had to be special about the scriptures that they wrote in order for them to all relate to the overall spectrum of God's plan. They all link together, as it turns out. That could not have happened without the influence of God. Um, and I mentioned that Jim McCormick, uh, because he gave us that very simple explanation of the Bible, um, changing my mind, it also increased my spirituality tremendously. Um, because for the first time, I began to understand how it all ties together. And when you look at it that way, you've got to be convinced that God has a plan for mankind. Um, it's truly an amazing story, and we'll talk about God's plan. God has a plan for all of mankind. God's plan will not fail. You'll hear me say that over and over again. God's plan began with creation, and it ends when Jesus comes back. Um, and it all ties together. Throughout history, God has managed to keep his plan in place. And I think when God established his plan at the beginning, he knew that through human nature, we were going to mess things up. Through our evil nature, through ambition, and uh, um, the obvious sins that come through power, and all of that, all of us have got things in a pretty messy place. But God would not allow his plan to fail, and he will not in the future. He's always depended upon a remnant. In the time of Noah, the remnant was Noah's family. In the time of the um, exile, God depended on the prophets and the people that were in Babylon as his remnant. I'm convinced that God today depends on us as Christians to be the remnant 
that will get us through this period in our history and the future things that have to happen. But God's plan will not fail. Um, so we're all faithful stewards. We're all faithful Christians. It's our duty. It's our honor and our privilege, I think, to be a part of God's plan. Okay, um, I mentioned I talk about three prophets today. We'll talk about um, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, and give examples about what they did relating to God's plan. But I want to begin with Psalms. Now, that's not a typical place that you would think about prophets, but it serves my purpose here this morning. It also relates to the Bible study that a lot of us have been reading. If, you, if you've been reading the chronological Bible, uh, as suggested by our minister, uh, most recently you have read about David. And David is constantly being chased by, by Saul in the time that we're reading in, in our Bible. Uh, jealous King Saul um, felt like that Dave, David was taking too much power away from him, so he tried to kill Saul, uh, kill David. Um, Psalm 22, as it turns out, was written by David, they think, during this period when he was being chased by, um, by King Saul. The first part of uh, Psalm 22 is an amazing description of the crucifixion. Um, it's, it's almost like the gospel writers picked up the first part of Psalm 22 and included all of those features in the crucifixion story. Now, some say that David wrote this as a means of describing himself. And uh, that may be true to an extent. I mean, David was pretty much in despair. Now, this is the first part is certainly a lament. Um, David is lamenting the fact that he's in trouble with Saul's chasing him. But the descriptions of a crucifixion don't apply to David at all. Um, David was not crucified. Nails were not driven in his hands. His side was not pierced. He was not um, suspended between two thieves, as described in the psalm. And soldiers did not gamble for his clothing, as described in the Psalm 22. Um, stunning when you think about that. But it's the last part of this, verses 21 and 23, that to me really is a forecast of the future and God's plan. In verses 21 through 22, um, David says that all nations will come to worship the Lord. Future generations will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. Um, Think about David now. My gosh, this was a pretty bloodthirsty guy, especially at that point in time. I mean, he was wiping out his neighbors uh, almost at will and apparently uh, not making any effort to convert them to the Hebrew faith at that time. Uh, he was out to kill them and steal, steal, steal all of their cattle and everything else. But suddenly in the last part of Psalm 22, he talks about all nations will come to worship the Lord. Future generations will proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn. That's, uh, that's pretty stunning. That's almost like the last part of God's grace, great plan for all of us. Okay. Let's move on. Page two of my notes here. Slide four. Okay. Isaiah. Thank you, excuse me. Isaiah's ministry began um, uh, about 740 B.C., and it ended around 700 B.C. Now, before I get into much detail here, it's very interesting to understand that at this point in world history, we are reaching a point where we've got a lot of historical evidence 
not only about the Bible, but also about the nations surrounding the Holy Land, Assyria for one. Um, we've got a lot of history that they left about their own situation. It is amazing how many of the stories in our Bible are described in the histories of these other nations that were impacted by the Bible. So we're reaching a point where we've got some historical evidence that's pretty pretty um, defensible, and we, you can find that your Bible is uh, very accurate in the description of a lot of things that happened. Okay, getting back to Isaiah, the, the kingdom after the death of Solomon was divided into uh, two nations. You know that, and that was about uh, 200 years before the time of Isaiah. And Isaiah, the northern kingdom, had fell fell to the Assyrians in 722. Um, so that uh, would happen during the ministry of Isaiah when he was still a relatively young man. Um, Isaiah felt like that the northern kingdom was being punished by God when the Syri- Assyrians invaded it because of their idol worship. Idol worship was a problem in both kingdoms at the time. There's no doubt about that. That's a part of history also. But the thing that was different about the northern kingdom, uh, the kingdom of Israel, was that they were intermarrying with the local people there. They were intermarrying with heathens. And the southern kingdom in Judah, the Hebrews had managed to maintain their purity as a race of people. They had not intermarried. They were worshiping idols, as sinful as that was. But they had not lost their identity as a Hebrew people, as had happened in the northern kingdom. Um, and... Uh, Isaiah said that um, that was the reason that Assyria attacked uh, um, uh, the northern kingdom and was successful in defeating them. Um, Getting back to the description of Isaiah, we think that Isaiah uh, probably had royal blood himself. Um, Hebrew tradition indicates that that he was the first cousin of King um, Uzziah, and he was the grandson of King Joash. Um, In any event, um, whether he had royal blood or not, he had some level of wealth, and he had, had access to the kings. He had access to the palace. He knew his way around the government and the administration that was in charge at that time. Um, unfortunately, most of the kings that he was working with did not yield to uh, Messiah, uh, Isaiah's plea for um, repentance, return to the worship of the true God, forget about all of this idol worship. Um King uh, Hezekiah, on the other hand, was one that was a little bit more patient with Isaiah and did establish some reforms. Um, well, about the, the time after the several years, I think it was how long? 20 years, 20 years I think it was, after the northern kingdom fell to the Assyrians, um, the Assyrians came back and attacked the southern kingdom, Judah. This would include the city of Jerusalem. The um, the Assyrians were bloodthirsty people. When they attacked the northern kingdom, they hauled off everyone as slaves, and to be sure that the Hebrew people didn't reestablish their religion in the northern kingdom, they brought in Assyrian people themselves to um, uh, repopulate the land. Um, any semblance of the Hebrew nation disappeared because of the brutality of the Assyrians. They were all turned into slaves. Um, Isaiah really did not want that to happen in the southern kingdom because he knew that that would be the end of monotheism. It would be the end of a Hebrew nation. So he prayed to God that somehow at least part of the southern kingdom would be spared. Um, 
At that point in time, we, we know that the Assyrians had come in. They had destroyed all of the cities around Jerusalem. Um, Jerusalem itself was under siege. It was surrounded by, let me get my numbers straight, 180 some odd thousand. A lot of people. Here it is, 185,000. Supposedly, according to the Bible, 185,000 Assyrian troops surrounded the city of Jerusalem. They had their siege towers in place. They had the ramps up against the wall. They were just about to wipe out the city of Jerusalem. The people inside were terrified. King Hezekiah was terrified. King Hezekiah was about to raise the white flag and surrender the city. Um, Isaiah, he came to Isaiah and asked Isaiah's advice on what to do. And Isaiah, in his infinite wisdom, says, Be calm, Jerusalem will be spared. The Lord will not allow this city to be defeated. Well, as it turned out, he was right. He prayed to God that the city would be delivered, and it was. The Bible says that overnight an angel came to the Assyrian army, 185,000 of them around the city, and and infected them with a plague. They all got sick and turned around and went home. That's history. You can read it in the Assyrian history. Uh, The story is that the captain of the army went back to the king of Assyria and reportedly said, their God is stronger than our God. Now, I don't know whether it happened exactly that way, but it sure is a good story. (laughs) Bottom line is that God delivered Jerusalem. And had the Assyrians invaded, the Hebrew nation probably would have been wiped out, could have been wiped out. Monotheism would have been destroyed. We wouldn't be in a Christian church today. Pretty powerful evidence of God's plan in in the works. God would not allow that to happen. Now, of course, we know that Jerusalem eventually fell. Where am I? I think I'm behind on my slides. Okay, I've already talked about that. Talked about that. Okay. Um, we know that the, that Jerusalem eventually fell to the Babylonians. Um, no doubt about it. That's history. We, we know that. But that was a hundred years later after Hezekiah and Isaiah, after, after God spared Jerusalem. It was a very important hundred years in Hebrew history because during that period of time, the Hebrews were able to reestablish their faith they began collecting the scriptures that had been very holy in the northern kingdom as well as the southern kingdom. They, com- they, they began the process of combining them into one holy Bible that we have today. Um, you know as you go through, especially reading the first part of our Bible, you'll see some duplications. And you'll see descriptions of the same event that use a little bit of terminology, a little bit of differences and that kind of thing. That resulted because of... Uh, the separation of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom um, because they developed a little bit different uh, situations in our Bible and the way things, events were described. And during this 100 years, um, though the process of combining those scriptures into one document started, it was a very, very important period in Hebrew history because they were able to reestablish and reaffirm the Hebrew traditions and the scriptures that had, had been started earlier. Um, it was also an evil period. Don't get me wrong. Hezekiah was a good king and did his best to reestablish the temple um, and to uh, eliminate idol worship. But after Hezekiah died, 
We had some bad kings come in, idol worship, uh, became a big problem in the southern kingdom. Um, but there was still a remnant of, of Hebrew scholars that had begun this collection of scriptures and the reestablishment of, um, the, 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 the Hebrew traditions. Um, the book of Isaiah, including all of the prophecies relating to the Messiah, uh, that we talk about every year at Christmas, was preserved during that period. It's that important. Um, I believe that this is a example of God's plan in action. Oh, didn't mean to do that. Why did you do that? Patience, everybody. I'll get there. Okay. I believe that this is an example of, of God's plan in action. I believe that God influenced human history to save Jerusalem and to allow the Hebrew faith to be extended and expanded during that 100 years. Um, when Jerusalem did fall, it was a, uh, it was to a, a much um, um, more patient, gentler foe. I've described that the Assyrians were very brutal people. The Babylonians that uh, that invaded Jerusalem and Judea um, in 605 B.C. and defeated uh, the Hebrew nation, um, they were a much gentler flow, foe. They allowed the Hebrew people to stay there. They occupied the city. If you've seen the movie on the History Channel, you've seen examples of it. I think that um, the history movie distorts a lot of, of, of biblical history, and I'm not happy with that. But uh, uh, the example of the Babylonians occupying the city apparently was pretty, uh, pretty typical, pretty accurate. Um, but they did not murder everyone. They did not haul uh, all everyone off. What they did do initially was to take the young Hebrew scholars off to Babylon. Daniel, Daniel was one of the very first young men Hebrew scholars that were hauled, hauled off into Babylon when. Um, the Babylonians invaded at six, in 605 B.C. A few years later, Ezekiel went to Babylon also. So, you see what is happening now. If, had the Assyrians come in a hundred years earlier, like was likely to happen, they would have been wiped out. But now, when the Babylonians came, they did take the young scholars back to Babylon but if you read the book of Daniel, you read about the story about Daniel in the lion's den and all of that. Daniel made some terrific statements and when he went to Babylon. He was allowed to continue his worship in spite of what the king said. And he became a very strong leader in the Hebrew nation in Babylon. That would not have happened if the Syrians had come in. They would have hauled him off and made a slave out of him. We would have never heard from him again. But uh, God influenced the history of human events to save Jerusalem in order that uh, uh, when the defeat finally came, it was with a much more gentle uh, foe. Um, we know in history that uh, um, that uh, in the years that followed 605, um, the occupation of the Babylonians was, was pretty extreme, pretty severe. They implemented some terribly high taxes, and uh, it was not an easy time. Don't get me wrong, it was not an easy time um, for the Hebrew people in Jerusalem because they were, uh, the city was occupied, they were oppressed. Um, there were several rebellions 
and uh, um, the kings tried their best to uh, uh, avoid the Babylonians and get around all of the customs and the taxes. Uh, finally, uh, um, in 597, um, after a lot of these rebellions, uh, the the uh, he, the Babylonians decided they had had enough. Um, the, the Hebrew kings that were left in Jerusalem were uh, uh, not paying their taxes. They were not paying the tributes, and the Babylonians were un- unhappy. 597, they came in and then destroyed the city and burned the temple in Jerusalem. Um, at that point in time, they hauled off um, the Hebrew people into into Babylon. This was the time that Jeremiah uh, began his ministry, and I think I'm ahead of myself. Jeremiah was in Jerusalem at this time, and he warned that all of this would happen. Jeremiah was um, a leader, uh, of course. He warned against the idol worship. But unlike Isaiah, Jeremiah did not have access to the king. Jeremiah was a poor guy. Um, we think that Isaiah was had some level of wealth. But uh, uh, you think Isaiah was a voice in the wilderness? What do you read about Jeremiah? He was really a voice in the wilderness. The kings resented him um, because the kings were encouraging idol worship themselves. And uh, um, it was a difficult time for Jeremiah. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you find out that he was actually exiled for a period of time to Egypt. He was thrown in a cistern and uh, thought that that would eliminate him, but somehow he escaped that. Um, But this was during the period, this hundred years, before the final fall of Jerusalem. We think that David and Ezekiel both we mentioned that they're in Babylon. They were the first phase of the exile. They were students of Jeremiah. So uh, he, uh, God influenced them through uh, the, the, the teachings of Jeremiah. Um, but uh, anyway, during the Babylonian exile, which actually began in 605 when David and Ezekiel were hauled off uh, and then was finally cultivated in 597, when the temple was destroyed, um, that was the beginning of the Babylonian exile. Um, and the Babylonian exile is a, a totally um, a new era in Hebrew history, and we'll get into that in just a minute. Um, Jeremiah forecasted that the Babylonian exile would last for 70 years. It was exactly 70 years. Then the Hebrew people were allowed to return to their homeland, to Jerusalem. But a lot of things happened during that 70 years. I think that one of the most significant things that occurred during that period is the forecast of the new covenant. Um, I want to read to you what uh, Jeremiah has to say about the new covenant. This is when he was in Babylon now. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they will be my people. No longer will man teach his neighbor or a man his brother, saying, Know the law. That is, know all of the individual parts of the Hebrew Scripture. Because they will all know me, from the least of them for the greatest. 
for I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. And then you think about what Ezekiel had to say about the new covenant. I will sprinkle clean water, clear water on you. I will make you clean. I will cleanse you from all your iniquities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. Um, Pretty amazing when you consider that in Hebrew history, they had thought about one covenant. That was the covenant of Abraham given to Moses and passed down generation after generation after generation. Um, I will be your God. You will be my people. Um, And to think about a new covenant was radical. Um, I think really that Jeremiah and Ezekiel had to be inspired by God to think in terms of this, especially when you think about Ezekiel and the language he used about a new heart. Um, if you look at the Gospel of John, you remember the story of of, of Nicodemus. Nicodemus came uh, was uh, a, a Pharisee. He came to talk to Jesus about what Jesus was preaching. He did it at night because he had wanted to be in, in secret. This was the first time he encountered Jesus. And Jesus talked about him being reborn. You have to be reborn. Oh my gosh, what a radical idea this was to Nicodemus. And Jesus said, how is it that you, a Pharisee, cannot understand what I'm talking about? Scholars think that Jesus was referring to this uh, forecast, this uh, prophecy that Ezekiel made that I just read to you about a new heart and a new spirit within you. And Jesus was saying to Nicodemus that, hey, look, you're a Pharisee. You're a scholar of all of this stuff. How is it you can't understand what I'm talking about? Pretty amazing now when you get see the linkage between the Gospel of John, written about 90 A.D., to all the way back to something that uh, that Ezekiel wrote probably in around 600 B.C. Um, pretty amazing when you understand how, how all of it ties together. Um, Christ wouldn't come for another 600 years, but still Jeremiah and Ezekiel had an understanding of what that new covenant was going to be like. Okay, I've spent a good bit of time talking about some details. Let's see how all of this ties together in God's plan. I think that step one, we've talked about this in God's plan at this point in time. Of course, step one in God's plan was creation, right? We all understand that. But as we go through history... And talk about the period of time that we uh, were discussing this morning. Step one in God's plan was to save Jerusalem from Assyria. As a result of this, the Hebrew traditions and the Holy Scriptures were preserved. Step two was to punish the Hebrew people again for their persistent idol worship. The Babylonian exile was a punishment for the Hebrew people. A lot of positive things came from the Babylonian exile. It was a tremendously important period in our history, but it was also a punishment of the Hebrew people because they persisted, persistently worshipped idols. Um, but the, uh, the exile um, in Babylon was so important because it prepared for the coming of the Messiah. It prepared a new covenant, a new beginning, just as I have, have talked about here this morning. Um, all of this comes together to me in a very, very special way. Um, 
as a result of the punishment of the Hebrew people, idol worship never was a problem. Again, um, I think that most of us that are Methodists would not really agree that idol worship is not a problem today. Um, but the idol worship that Mike Miller is talking about, he's the one that made this statement and hit me between the eyes again when he said that idol worship was never a problem again after the Babylonian exile. He was referring to the figured idols, um, the the bales, um, the, the towers, and all of that, the man-made idols. Certainly today we have our own idols that we have to contend with. But idol worship in that form was never a problem again. Monotheism was preserved during this period. The Hebrew traditions, the prophecies of a coming Messiah, all of the Hebrew scriptures were finalized during the period of Babylon, the Babylonian exile. The Psalms were put in in order. The Song of Solomon, all of the literature, um, in addition to the books of the law, the first five books of the Bible, were finalized during this period of Babylonian history. But the secret here is that the Babylonians allowed the Hebrew nation to maintain their communities, their method of worship. They established synagogues in Babylon. Those events would never have happened had the Assyrians destroyed the Hebrew nation um, way back in the time of Isaiah. God's plan in action. The synagogues that were that were established in Babylon and then later spread throughout that area of the Near East were the foundation for Paul's missions. They were the foundation. They were the places that became the first Christian church. So many benefits come out of the Babylonian exile. Another one that I have failed to mention is that um, the Hebrew people learned that God did not reside in a temple in Jerusalem. God was a spirit that went with them to Babylon in their hearts. They were able to continue their worship of God away from Jerusalem. Now, that was a major leap for the Hebrew people because prior to that time, everybody thought that God's Holy Spirit was in the Holy Temple in Jerusalem. And after the temple was destroyed, I'm sure that they were dismayed, but they quickly learned that God's Holy Spirit resided in their hearts. That's the foundation of the Christian faith for us today. It's the reason we're come to worship uh, God here. Um, I hope you can see what I'm getting at here about God's plan in action. Isn't that this mind-moggling when you think in terms of all of these events that had to come together to preserve God's holy message for us today? Um, and next Sunday we'll talk more about the linkages. We'll look at our Bible as a continuous book And I think that you'll find again how all of this comes together to reinforce over and over again what I've been saying. God's plan will not fail. But God's plan always depends on a remnant. In Noah's time, it was Noah's family. You remember that? It was Noah's family that kept the faith going. Here, it was the Babylonian exile, the prophecies especially of Jeremiah and Ezekiel and all of the work they did in in Babylon, the witness that they made in Babylon itself. That was the remnant that kept things going. And I believe it's going to happen again. If it does happen, God's counting on us to be that remnant. Next week, we'll talk about the linkages. We'll also talk about some prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled. We'll talk about what I consider as uh, uh, some current-day prophets. Um, You may be a little bit surprised about that. But let's come back next week, and I appreciate your patience for listening to me this morning. Let's pray. Oh, God, our help in ages past our hope for years to come. Be thou our guide, 
All right, my Excuse me. Now, are you turning home? Amen. Thank you, Tom. And we'll look forward to next week. And actually, I did the four-week prophet series when he did it the first time and suggested to Mary that, could we look at that again? And it was even better this time. I think I, if you'll teach it a few more years, I might understand a little of it. But that's, that's pretty incredible. Thank you. Uh, when I told you the space allocation thing was done, it's really not in concrete. It goes to the Board of Stewards. And the Board of Stewards will approve that. So um hope you will vote if you're on the Board of Stewards. Thank Susan Reed from our class. Susan chaired that. We had a little inside track on that. But it was kind of... We big bucks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got that. So uh, the other thing I want to finish with is don't forget the boxes over here on the back table by the water thing to please volunteer for something to do for this coming year. We would appreciate that. And our Bible verse for this week, and I, you remember we started on patience last week, and we kind of didn't want to hear that either. And uh, I feel like it's gone from preaching to meddling. But last week it was be patient in affliction. We didn't want to hear that so much at our house. But be joyful in hope and faithful in prayer. So this week comes up, patience again. Do not be quickly provoked in your spirit, for anger resides in the lap of fools. That's pretty strong, huh? Pretty strong. I didn't realize that until it came up in the email this week. Because, you know, I did, I did this in January, so it's a surprise to me, and I, I like it to be a surprise when it comes out from George. But do not be quickly provoked in your spirit. Be patient. So I hope you have a great week. Enjoy being with you today.